0: You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York, a community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. Today's reading is from the book of Ephesians and the gospel of Mark. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And the Gospel reading. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish, and those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. The word of the Lord.
1: You may be seated this morning. So we are beginning the slow process of opening our child care on Sundays now, and we're beginning with the infant room next Sunday. We got 10, 12 volunteers who said that they're going to be here to help us out for the next month and a half. And so if you have young ones zero to two, uh, I, I will miss terribly the sound of children's voices amening me when the adults do not, which is perfectly fine. But you can sign up during the week just so we can slowly get an idea of how many volunteers we need to have. But that will be available at the beginning of the service through the entire service uh, next week. And obviously we ask that if you do utilize uh, the infant room, that ministry, that you also sign up to volunteer because we don't want to just be consumers. Amen? Okay. What I want to talk about for the next long time is we're going to, I didn't mean today. Everybody calm down. Some people, the overzealous ones laughed, and the jaded ones were like, great, great. We want to talk about friendship. Friendship is unbelievably important, and I feel prophetically, uh, I know we've all experienced people whose opinions at one point used to be like clay, and even if they were formed, When the water of conversation was applied, it's possible that some of us were able to change our mind about something, which is a phenomenon that doesn't seem to exist anywhere ever at all zero times a week. It seems like opinions have been placed into the oven and now either stay exactly the way they were formed or just shatter entirely. And this is not healthy. So the question I have to ask myself as a pastor is what is needed to help soften us again so that we could have healthy discussions and not begin a discussion and end it in nothing but accusations and generalized statements that always seem to put you in the right and someone else in the wrong. Have you ever heard somebody say I have a high view of scripture? I have a high view of the church. Have a high view of marriage. Usually, people say those things because they're ready to blast somebody who doesn't share their opinions. And now we're so solidified with those things. And so, is it a sharp word of rebuke that needs to happen? Well, that's the easy thing. But what I felt the Holy Spirit said for us, for Salem Tabernacle, is that what the world needs is a church that has repassioned itself for friendships. One-on-one friendships. Strengthen our hands in friendship. This table you see in that picture was taken at my best friend's house. And if you know who he is, you just went, aw. If you don't, you're jealous because you wish I was your best friend, which is fine. I get it. Oh, you guys are going to have to help me a little bit today. It's not at your house, John. I'm sorry. All mad. All mad. Doesn't play the piano anymore. <laughs> I went kayaking with one of my good friends on, what was it? Friday. Yes, I went kayaking. Have you ever had somebody, when you're in a pool, gets on a float and does that thing where they make waves and you're always, like, choking on water and they think it's funny? Like when you were a kid and they're, like, going like this on a raft and all of a sudden it gets to be real wavy and you're, like, <clears throat> like all the time. You're, like, please Stop. That happens to the Hudson River when I get on a kayak. The Hudson River is like, why is he doing this? Barges are like, we can't go that way. When, when Bill is kayaking to Denning's Point, we have to go someplace else because we will capsize. So one of my good friends, Reed Scott, one of our beloved trustees who does amazing work at this church, he said, I said to him, let's get lunch. And he said, awesome, why don't we go kayaking? And I'm like, not what I had in mind. I'm thinking like Sal's Pizza in Fishkill, chilling, air conditioning. It was 785 degrees on Friday, and he had me me kayaking. I'm over there not knowing what I'm doing. He's going that way. I'm talking to him, floating on this way. So he's like, first we'll go against the current. I'm like, that's great. This sounds like so much fun. So we go against the current to Denning's point, and what happens is when we get to where Reed wanted to go, which is miles past where I was hoping we would go, he kind of docks us, and he connects our boats, and he's like, let's, uh, let's have lunch and sit here and talk. So, you know, now I kind of feel like Jesus, because now I'm in a boat on the water, and somebody's asking me questions, and, I mean, I felt exactly like Jesus, So we're talking, we're having our sandwiches, and I didn't know that we went against the stream, so now as we're talking, we're we're drifting back. So as I'm talking, and I don't know if you know this about me, I can kind of get lost in a conversation, especially when somebody's asking those questions, good questions. All of a sudden, I'm talking about life, about the church, about all kinds of stuff, and I realize Reed has his hand in my boat I'm going to call it a boat because I don't do this, so just bear with me. He's got his hand in my boat, and I can tell that he's hanging on to it pretty tight. And I realized the bungee cord that he he tied our boats together with snapped, probably because of me, and went into my boat. So the whole time I was talking, listen to this, the whole time I was talking, he was holding my boat to his so we could continue to have this conversation and so that I wouldn't float to Billy Joe's (laughs) across the river. I had to turn around at one point, and I, I did the long turnaround. Like, I went almost into the middle of the Hudson to turn all the way around. And then when I got back, Reed said, if you put your oar on the other side, you could turn on a dime. And I said, why didn't you tell me that 45 hours ago? And he said it was funny. <laughs> Strengthen our hands in friendship. He held on to the boat the whole time. I didn't realize. It was probably an hour and a half. He's holding on to it. And then we get back to Long Dock, and there's another person in a kayak, and this person was purposely flipping himself upside down to learn how to wiggle out and get, because apparently he was practicing for the rapids, like overachiever show-off. Like, he's flipping upside down on purpose. So, I'm watching him, and then I realize, and like every time he goes under... Like, at first, I'm like, no one no one's helping him. And then I realize I'm not helping him. And then I realize I can't, because I can't get out of this right now. And all of a sudden, I drift away from Reed again. This is important. So I reach out, because I've already seen Reed do this. I reach out, and I grab his boat. Not the smartest move in the world. My boat tips. His boat tips. And Reed says you know, pastor, you're allowed to grab another man's hand if it means not flipping into the water. And so we lock hands.
0: (laughs) I don't want to (laughs) wait.
1: That's all you're going to get. Let me get up here one day. I got that falsetto, no? She's worse than Simon Cowell. She's like, no. And Reed says, when you're tipping, you got to grab somebody's hand because you have to be a little higher, and then you can pull yourself in without tipping. And I thought of this sermon series, Strengthen Our Hands in Friendship. See, if I was tipping, I couldn't FaceTime Reed and stay up. I needed somebody physically there to grab onto and to show me how to do this so I don't tip. A hand is very needed when you're in an unstable environment. A hand is very needed when your life is rocking back and forth. You need someone who's willing to let go of what they are able to control to help you control what you can't. This is what friendship is. When we finally got to shore after I was done kissing the ground numerous times to be back where things make sense. We, we put the kayaks on his car, and then Reed realizes he lost his glasses someplace. So now this is my chance to be funny, because it's hilarious to watch somebody look for glasses when they don't have their glasses on. And finally, I go down right to the shore, and I can see exactly where they fell off, and I got his glasses. And in that moment, Reed needed a set of eyes, because his weren't working. I needed a hand because my boat wasn't working. This is what friends do. We offer the other person what's working in our life because hopefully what's working in my life is what's not working in yours, and together we can make it work. This friendship is the environment that correction and growth has to happen in moving forward. I want everybody to repeat this. The relationship of discipline. Think about that. The relationship of discipline. Discipline is not an action. It is a way of describing a healthy relationship you have with someone. Discipline, correction, exhortation, growth have to happen inside the greenhouse of friendship. Friendship creates the context for things like, I'm just going to call them out. I'm just going to speak my mind. You can't, right now, I'm saying you cannot if you're not friends. This is why when Jesus, and I'm going to preach more about this on August 8th, but this is why when Jesus gets Peter to the shore after the resurrection, he doesn't bring up anything to Peter until it says, after they had finished breakfast. So you can't let these verses skip by you. After they finish breakfast, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? For all three of the denials, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? But it's only after breakfast. Because Jesus won't even reach into somebody's life and deal with what they've done wrong until he's established friendship first. After breakfast. It wasn't, Peter, we got to get you right so that we can eat together. It's, I'm going to eat with you so that you know I love you even when you're wrong, and now it's safe to work on what's not right. This is what he does. You hear me say it every Sunday. And after supper, he took the cup of wine. After he sat and was friendly with even his doubter, his denier, and his betrayer. Friendship is the context. Jesus is criticized by the church for being friends with people who weren't allowed in the church. One of his harshest criticisms is that he's friends with tax collectors. Raise your hand if your favorite thing to do every year is pay taxes. You're weird. (laughs) I got a Christmas countdown going on my phone. I don't have a countdown going for tax day. Jesus is friends with extortioners and tax collectors and sinners And I love how the Pharisees are like, he's friends with sinners. No, he's not, because he's not friends with you yet. We should be criticized the same way Jesus was criticized, no? We should be friends with people who the wider church world would think suspect. Why are you associating with them? Avoid the appearance of evil. Or not. Or we've just ruined that verse entirely. Oh, man. We do need to preach about this. You heard that, Steph? No sound. We need to preach about this. Sometimes a no response is a confirmation. That's so you know. Jesus shows us in this story how to be friends. And we see two groups of people. We see the disciples and we see the people who are hungry. And we see two different versions of what we're supposed to be doing in our life. We're supposed to be the ones who feed and we are also supposed to be the ones humble enough to know that we need to be fed. Your role is both all the time. Please don't ever think you're only supposed to feed other people and not be fed. That is, that is not the kind of person you want to hang around with. The kind of person who always is interested in giving you information, never interested in hearing yours. Don't want to be the person who thinks your job is only to feed. Let me tell you something. I have not ceased to be a congregation member when I became the pastor. It's just that the way I'm a congregant is different now. But the elders are my deacons, and the overseers are my elders, and Bishop Quentin Moore is my spiritual father, because I am anchored into people because I need to eat as much as I need to feed. I need to go to somebody and say, I'm hungry for something in my life. God did not ask me to be the pastor just so I could have you hear me. He also has me here so that I could hear you in a way I've never got to hear you before. All through COVID, I've had tremendous conversations with so many of you, even the ones who sit in the far left-hand corners and recesses of the earth. Many hours of conversations of friendship enlightening my life with things I needed to hear, not just things I needed to say. So many of you have helped me inform what I'm supposed to say on a Sunday. So please know you are always the one who needs to be fed, and you are always the one who needs to feed, and it's never one or the other. In the disciples and in the people, we can play with this story a little bit, we have annoying ways of being friends. Let's take the disciples first. The disciples are tired from doing ministry. Has anybody gotten tired from work, raising children, and going to church all the time? Be honest. My hand is up. Only a few of you. Praise the Lord. We're doing really well. This is good. You are exhausted from doing good things. Like, there's, it's one reason to be tired because you, you did a whole bunch of dumb things. It's another thing to have that good kind of tired when you've done a lot of really good things and you're just actually exhausted and you know, I deserve a break. And you really do. And you go on your break. And then demanding people are already there at your break before you get there. And the disciples say to Jesus, Here's what they do they're sneaky. They use the needs of other people to try to get rid of having to meet it themselves and still sound holy at the same time. Jesus, these people, you've been teaching so well, Lord. Your teaching has gone so well, it has gone far into the day. Like mine right now. It's going to go until three or four o'clock, and we're going to live out, we're going to do this as a parable together. Your teaching has gone all day, the day is now spent. Send them away. There are some people who fail in their friendships because we're only good friends when our life is stable. But the minute there's an issue in our lives, we use Jesus to only focus on our needs thinking it's holy and realizing one of the ways that my needs are met in the kingdom is by meeting somebody else who has the same need I have. Because the real need we have in our life, the largest void we have in our life, is the need to meet other needs. And the more centrally focused we get on ourselves, the more we start to meet our, some of our needs, but the less we meet others because we're hyper-focused on ourselves, and the more our need to meet needs grows. Friendship is that relationship where when you're going through something and your friend is going through something similar and you help them, somehow the sacramental supernatural reality of you helping them has entirely changed your point of view on what you're walking through. The disciples are hungry. And why are they sending the people away? Because the people are hungry. Everybody say hungry. Hungry. Say it a bunch of times so you get hungry now while I still have like 40 minutes to go. All right, stop saying it now. If you say a word too many times, it's say paint like 500 times and it starts to sound like peant. I don't know why. It's true though. I should make a TikTok about that. You'd watch it, you'd watch it. They say send them away. Send them away. I'm tired. I've done a lot of good. I need a break. Send them away. Send ministry away. Send volunteer opportunities away. Don't answer the phone call. We become great friends when our life is going well, and we become terrible friends when our life is going through something, when we're exhausted, when we feel we have a right to our own time. And here's the reality. You do have a right to Sabbath. But I just want to take a quick little tangent for a second and say this. Jesus is the one who said the disciples need to go take a break. And Jesus is the one who tells them to stop taking a break and feed people. But then, in the next story, the disciples are in a storm, and Jesus does not go to them for two or three hours. And then he goes. And what you realize with Jesus is he knows when it's time to press somebody and he knows when somebody's mature enough to handle a situation without being pressed. Jesus knows when it's time to have somebody rest and he knows when it's time to even come out of that rest because the need that you're going to meet is greater than your need to keep resting. And Jesus, we see the rhythm of that in his life. So we have to use active discernment. This is why you hear me say things like a Christianity of principles is a dangerous Christianity because it doesn't, it doesn't account for variable change. We just force the, the principle of Sabbath, the principle of authority, the principle of this. We force it into situations where maybe we got to change the way we do something real fast. the disciples are grumpy. Anybody been grumpy before? Just grumpy? Like, we don't have to, like, make it all demonic and satanic. You're just off. You're just grumpy. I, every day of my life, to save my life, I wake up and say, Jacqueline, how are you today? And sometimes she's like, I just feel a little off. And I know. Tread lightly today. (laughs) She feels off. And I've known her for 16 years, and I still don't know what that phrase means. I just know it means I have to be careful. That's what I know. (laughs) Grumpiness is dangerous because grumpiness, you don't know. Like when somebody's really having a bad day, you know to stay with them. When somebody's grumpy, they almost like lure you in, and you think everything's fine. And there were sharks in those waters, and you didn't know. The disciples are grumpy. They've been doing what they're told. They're exhausted. Annoying people have shown up in their vacation spot. And now what does Jesus say? He says, you never send people away. Friends don't do that. Give them something to eat. And what is Jesus communicating? He's communicating that our life and the life of our friends is so linked up that when their needs are met, so are ours. So Jesus knows you're all hungry, your blood sugar's dropping. That's why you're cranky right now. They're hungry. Their blood sugar dropped a long time ago. It's why they just showed up in our vacation spot without asking any questions. We'll talk about that in a second. And Jesus says, "Y'all you all need to eat. But you give them something to eat. Don't send them away. Friends offer their life." even when they're sensing that they need friends to be offered to them. The bread that we're talking about, every time we, talk about, we get to this text, we're always talking about provision, but I want you to see the bread in this story as the bread of friendship. Jesus is the bread of life. The bread is Christ. The bread is relationship. The disciples are so busy, they're hungry for relationship. The people are so, uh, as Jesus says, scattered like sheep without a shepherd that they need friendship. The bread in this story is the bread of relationship. And so many of us are hungry for it. And so many of us, especially outside of this room, are hungry for it. And it is up to the church to offer the world the bread of friendship, the bread of life. We can never say, Jesus, send them away to go get friends someplace else. He's going to say, you give them something to eat. You befriend them. Well, how can I? Because I don't have anything. You have me. I am everything you could need to ever have to offer to somebody else. Another funny story. In the back, you'll see a rather... Hulk Hogan-ish gentleman. His name's Alan. He's dating my sister-in-law, Annie. Together, they can probably lift up this entire church off the ground and throw it. Like, when Jesus is like, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, be thrown. And when he pointed, Alan had already thrown it into the water. About a month ago, Alan says to me, hey, can you drive me to the airport on the 19th? And I, like a good friend, I say yes. Yes. And then like a great friend, I forgot. It's tomorrow, right? Yes. So another one of my friends, Pastor Mark, says, hey, JP and Diana are going to be in Philadelphia on Monday. Would you and Jacqueline like to come and hang out? I say yes, because I'm a good friend, and good friends invited me to go hang out with them. Alan, being a really good friend, texts a few days in advance, hey, are you still cool to drive me to the airport? And being a really good friend, I say, of course. How are we going to do this? I'm like, what time do you need to go? We need to leave at 5 a.m. Okay. We'll be there. And then, like, obviously, Newark is on the way to Philadelphia, so here's what's happening. Now Jacqueline and I need a friend because neither of us want to wake that one up and we finally we have a house now that finally has the extra bedroom, so we call Doreen and say, Hey, can you please stay at our house on Sunday night so we don't have to <laughs> so we don't have to wake Sophia up. <laughs> she was like coloring. she's like, I'm not even gonna listen to you. And so now we have friends being there for friends so we can be there for friends that we've overbooked ourselves with because it's not that we're not organized, it's just that we're so loving (laughs) that we say yes to everybody. But nobody's sending anybody away. Being a good friend, Alan says, you know what, I can find someone to take me. You don't have to. And he doesn't need to say that, but this is how friendships work. Levels of friendship are helping us enter into other levels of friendship. You don't send people away. Who, raise your hand if Jesus has ever sent you away. John, just kidding. Now let's talk about, we talked about the grumpy people, and maybe that's some of us. Now let's talk about the demanding people. Has anybody met somebody that's demanding before? <laughs> One, I see that hand. You can put it. I see that hand. You can put it down. See that hand. You can put. Why is that? Why is everybody looking at me though? <laughs> Am I demanding? No. Nah, 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 let's talk about this another time. <laughs> Am I demanding, Sophia? Okay. She stuck her tongue at me. Well played. These are people who look at Jesus' disciples doing all of this work. Keep in mind, it says... Jesus says, everything you've done has been amazing. I saw Satan fall to the ground like a lightning bolt. You've been doing all these good things. Come away with me. You deserve to rest. And oh, by the way, um, John the Baptist was just beheaded in the previous story, and Jesus is also mourning the loss of a family member, and so Jesus needs some time away because he's mourning loss, and the disciples need time away because they've been doing ministry and serving and loving and healing and feeding and all these things. They all go away to what was supposed Supposed to be like an all-inclusive resort in a desolate place, and all of a sudden, the annoying, demanding people get there first. Have you ever had somebody arrive ahead of your patients, and then when your patience was out, and you got to the place where you're like, no more, and turned around, there they are, standing in the place where your patients had run out, waiting for you. That is... The spirit of demand. None of those people asked, do you have a moment? Are you going through anything? How are things going in your life? I have someone in my life who never says why. They just say, hey, what are you doing this weekend? No context because they want to trick you. So now I've started to realize if I have nothing to do, I treat that as a plan. I have plans. Got to protect yourself sometimes. Got to set up boundaries. Got to live inside the edges. Can I get an amen from somebody? I have plans. And honestly, the plan to do nothing is one of the hardest plans to keep anyway. That's a different sermon, but it's true. They're just there. And the disciples are like, you have got to be kidding me right now. First of all, Jesus just made us row here. Like there's still like I just kayaked for 15 minutes and I'm like, I could never have been one of the disciples. I would have invented, I would have invented a car. We can't climb everywhere, Jesus. We can't swim everywhere, all these things that you want to do. Trying out for triathlon, which is really what the gospel turns out to be, Jesus practicing for a triathlon. They get there and Jesus is like, Aw. They're like sheep without a shepherd. And the disciples are like, no, they're not. (laughs) We all wrote down what we think they are. We'll just pass it over to Jesus so we don't have to say it out loud. Those kinds of people, it's tough to be friends like that. When you are going through something in your life, listen, I will talk about myself first. When I am going through something, my brain tells me that the next person I see is fully ready to hear everything going on in my life. They are primed and given by the Holy Spirit to hear my vent. Our vents can break somebody who's also in a position where they're holding on to some hot air and they need to vent too. This is why venting on social media is so unbelievably dangerous because you don't know if the person reading your stuff is capable of hearing what you're saying and you're responsible for it even if you never meet the person because you will meet them one day. I mean, am I right? We, whew, there's kids in the room. We got to get, get these uh, ministries up and running because I have things I want to say that I cannot say. When you vent... When you occupy someone else's time, when you enter someone else's life without first finding out, are you, are you, is your boat wobbling back and forth? Is your kayak about to tip? Because I need something to grab onto, but it looks like you're about to sink too. So maybe you're not the one right now. But we don't do that. We just jump into somebody's life and then cannot believe that they were annoyed. I'm the pastor. How are they annoyed that I'm talking to them? How? I cannot believe the way you just said that. Can I have a minute to be off? Has anybody ever said this before? Listen, yes, I know I was rude, but my God, I was going through something. What's the other person say? So was I. You never asked. You just showed up. You just called. You just demanded. You called. I didn't answer. You texted. I didn't respond. You DM'd me. You just kept going. This is called stalking. You just wouldn't stop until I finally got in touch with you. And then the more I don't answer, now people are calling to see if I'm okay. I'm fine. I just don't like you right now. These people are demanding. So you have the spirit of grumpiness and the spirit of demand. And then you have the spirit of God and the person of Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He feeds the spirit of grumpiness and the spirit of demand with the bread of compassion and thanksgiving. First, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Please understand what this means. Jesus sees people acting in a way that they should not be acting. My guys deserve a break because they've done all the ministry, volunteered for all the events, gone to all the services. You all only show up when you need something. But Jesus goes a layer under that and says, but you know what? Their shepherd is King Herod. And I'm not surprised with that joker running the show that his people are acting this way. It's not their fault. Do you see what he did? In the previous story, Herod is killing people because of his lustful appetites. And Jesus knows he's their leader. So when they're running around with lustful appetites for people's attention, you can lust after a lot of things everybody, including attention this is so good. I cannot believe. You know what? Thank you everybody at home for standing up and amening me. I hear you. (laughs) Jesus says what they're doing is very annoying, but I know why it's happening. And the why is more important than the what, because I'm a good friend. So in this case, I'm going to overlook the what, because I know why. You all are not led properly. Your leader is abusive. You're having a bad day. You've got stuff going on in your marriage. Your finances are falling apart. Your car broke down for the third time this month. Things are going wrong. So I know why you're acting this way at work. I know why you're calling me at 11 on my vacation. I know why you're doing these things. And Jesus doesn't just let one burst of emotion determine he says, as a good friend, okay, I see how they're acting, but is anything pushing that action that's beyond them? And the answer was yes. And so it's compassion, not annoyance that he felt. And his disciples running around, we don't have enough. We don't have enough. We don't, I don't have enough energy. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough patience. I don't have enough. I don't have enough. I don't have enough. And so Jesus says, fine, give me the little bit that you have. And what does he do? He holds it up and he says, Lord, Jesus was part of the prosperity movement. Lord, I declare right now, I am taken back from the enemy's camp what he stole. There will be more bread when I open my eyes. I declare that, you know what, maybe, maybe we need to put on the prayer chain. Maybe we need to jump God with prayer and then the bread will multiply. What does he do? Does he, does he tell the organist to get up there and everybody start jumping around and then there will be more bread? What does he say about the bread? Thank you. He held up one one-hundredth of what he needed and gave thanks. It's funny that the spirit of thanksgiving seems to multiply things faster than the spirit of demand. Try it with another person in your life. Tell them thank you. Spend a whole six months telling somebody thank you as opposed to demanding that they do things, and watch how productive they actually get when they feel affirmed. Imagine we became friends that saw the lack in somebody else's life and thanked God that there was something good. Even if it's not enough, it's something. And He says, Thank you. You know what the word is for that word, thank you? eucharisma eucharist it's called the great thanksgiving everyone's like why do you have to use the word eucharist because it means thank you and that's a good thing to say he gives thanks he has compassion which is what is compassion compassion is asking if there's something else driving the behavior that's annoying you in the name of jesus can you write that down by the power of the holy spirit Compassion is asking yourself, is there something else driving the action that is annoying me? When you enter somebody's life compassionately, with passion, you're looking for ways to, to, you're looking for ways, that you're thinking the best of them. You're looking for reasons why they're being the way they're being because I know them enough to know this isn't who they are. We are so quick to jump. When we're annoyed by somebody, we are so quick to assume this is who they always are because they're annoying us. But when we watch somebody else do it to somebody else, we're quick to think, you don't really know what's going on. But when somebody offends us two minutes later, all of a sudden, we're judging their whole life. Compassion says, is there something behind what I'm seeing that's driving it? And Thanksgiving is when you can look at any good anywhere, and focus on that and affirm it and say thank you. The demanding, grumpy person knows how they're being. You want how I know that? Because I often am the demanding, grumpy person. I know you cannot believe it, but I can be demanding and grumpy sometimes. Then you know when you're being off, you know when you're being nasty. And when someone can find and search for the good in you and say thank you for it, it changes everything about how you feel about yourself, the moment, and the world around you. The church we need to be explorers going everywhere in somebody's life to find the affirmable Christ in them. And because everyone's been made in his image, there isn't a person alive right now that doesn't somehow bear the image of Christ in them. It's just for some of us, you got to do a little more digging than others. But it's our job to be the ones to go find it and affirm it because that wakes up. You can rebuke somebody for being grumpy, they're going to be in a better mood. You know, like the one time a year, Jacqueline is grumpy. That one time a year sarcasm alert, when you're like, why are you being that way? That never works. Husbands, let me tell you something. Calling out your wife's grumpiness does not work. But saying thank you for something, because maybe this is just me for being so rotten, but when I say thank you, she always seems surprised. Wow. You said thank you today. Oh, my goodness gracious. Jesus can turn water into wine. He's a miracle worker, a way maker. This is what we need to do. And it all comes down to this. The Ephesians text said what? He's building us into a temple. He's making us a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. Why is that important? Because Jesus goes into a temple and he flips tables. But do you know what table he doesn't flip? He doesn't flip the mercy seat. He doesn't flip the table of showbread. He flips the money changers. He comes in and he flips the tables of transaction. But he doesn't flip the table of presence and communion. He flips the tables of transaction. Relationships fail quickest when we transact instead of serve. What are transaction statements? I don't know. Something like, you were really rude to me yesterday and I forgave you. Now how are you acting this way? Anybody ever say that or had that been said to them before? After everything I put up with, you do this, those are transacting statements. Sophia, you're having such a good day today. You're being so amazing. You're having such a good day, we're so proud of you. Two minutes later, hits her friend. It's like, how? you're having the worst day. Everything is canceled. Movie night canceled, T- picnic canceled. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. We're transacting here. She's not the last thing she did. The next person you meet is not only as good as the last interaction you've had with them. We have amnesia these days. When somebody does something to us, we immediately forget their whole context up to that point. It's a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately game. Jesus flips those tables. He flips those words. He flips that mentality. It makes him angry. But he doesn't flip the table of showbread. He, what does he say? He says, now that I've gotten rid of transactions, my house... Is supposed to be a house of prayer for who? All peoples. Well, there's some people out there whose lifestyle is heinous. (laughs) Then don't they need a house of prayer? Don't they need a seat at the table? Don't they need friendship? Are you ready to be criticized for being friends with them? Salem, every one of our relationships needs friendship. Sophia, I'm her dad which means that friendship is going to take a particularly unique shape in her life. But it doesn't mean I'm not her friend, I'm her dad. I'm her dad, which means I get to be friends with her in a unique way. Jacqueline and I, husband and wife. She's my absolute best friend. BFF, straight up. Well, you can't be friends, your husband and wife. No, 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 that just determines the kind of friend that we can be. Well, you can't be friends with your boss. No, you can. It just determines the kind of friend that you can be. But every relationship needs friendship. Friendship should be the number one consistent reality in every relationship. And you wanna know why I can say that? Because Jesus, who is the reality that every one of our relationships points to. Jesus is the reality of what every husband and wife relationship is pointing to. He's the reality of what every friendship is pointing to. He's the reality of what every employee, employer relationship is pointing to. he is the reality of what our relationship as pastor and congregant is pointing to. He's the re- he is the reality of every relationship, and he says, "I no longer call you servants, but I call you." So if he is going, to, if he has the highest place of authority in our life, above every name, above every king, above every lord, and he says, "I'm calling you friends." How can we ever say something like, "I'm not your friend. I'm your father." The one who said, pray our father, is also the one who called us friend. Friendship should infiltrate every relationship that we have. We don't need to dichotomize friendship. Don't be friends with your kids. No, just learn how to be friends with your kids. Learn how to do it. He makes them sit down in groups of fifties and hundreds. Before he feeds them, he makes them sit down in groups because Jesus doesn't bless individuals. He blesses community. Why? Because the bread I'm blessed with is also the bread I need to bless with. (laughs) He doesn't bless individuals just to go and be satisfied. He blesses communities sit down in groups of 50s and 100s. When you look up the word groups in the Greek, it's the word synagogue. Essentially, he said, sit them down in small churches, and then I'll bless the churches with bread. And when the churches are fed, there's going to be some left over. And what are we supposed to do, church? Go out there and feed. But he doesn't bless autonomy. He doesn't bless isolation. Listen, Like I said before, when Jesus comes back, everybody, guess what? Jesus is not coming back on Zoom. He's not coming back on FaceTime. He's not coming back on Google Meet. He's coming back physically. We're going to behold him and touch him. I needed to reach out my hand and grab Reed's hand, and I couldn't have done it on a Zoom chat. I needed somebody in my life to actually grab hold of. This is what we're called to right now. We're called to be friends with each other and with the world. Listen, we had 115 people at that picnic yesterday and I made some new friends and rekindled some old ones. Throwing sticks at little blocks all day long, had the best time. Great game. It's refreshing to physically be with somebody out in the fresh, open, safe air. And sit down and break some bread at tables. We need it. The problem that we're facing right now is that the isolation is necessary and it's also unhealthy. This is one of the scariest things that you can have. Has anybody ever needed to be on painkillers before? Painkillers are necessary, but they can get you into trouble quickly. You need them. I'm pointing to my foot. You need them after you have surgery on August 12th. But they can get you into trouble. Sometime, when something is necessary but it's also not exactly healthy, that's when bad things can happen. And so it is necessary that some people are watching from home. But every one of us needs to know that you cannot do life from home. You could maybe work from home, but you can't spouse from home. You can't friend from home. You can't Christian from home. You just can't, and I'm sorry if you disagree. You just can't. At some point, you need to know, even if you have to be home, it's dangerous because at some point, there needs to be a push to be back, and everybody knows we have done this as slow and safe as humanly possible for a very long time. We've been, and, and I'm not, I would never be say that we're out of it. Maybe we're not. Maybe we're going to have to close again. Maybe we're going to have to preach to an empty room again. We will do all of those things. I'm not saying let's defiantly just come back and ignore everything that's happening. But every time we do have to pull back, if some of us need to even still be pulled farther back because of issues going on and we need to be safer, we just have to know this is okay, but it's not permanently sustainable. The church is the place where we touch and ingest bread together. John, can you can you hustle on? Just everybody understands I'm not being rude to him. This is a thing now that we have. When when my friend JP was here, he flew from that seat into the air and came John, I would rather have you play if you walked even slower than that to come up here, so you're, you're, you're the man. And I love you. Amen. And you're like, you're like my fifth best friend. <laughs> that's top that's five, man. That's like apostles, prophets, that's, like, that's up there. That's good. Every one of us who just clapped, let's just make sure that we're not clapping because we're better. Some people can't be here. And they need friendship. They need friends. They need interaction. And it is our responsibility to know who they are and to privately approach those people and offer our hand for their boat that has to be rocking violently after over a year and a half of not being able to be part of a group. This is not about forcing people to get back here. This is about understanding that we are all in various places right now, and it is extremely complicated, and so what we need is not demand or rebuke or exhortation. We need understanding, we need compassion, we need thanksgiving, and we need friendship. The atmosphere of friendship is where everything is going to heal. There was a time when Jesus could rebuke Peter but there was another time in Peter's life where Jesus knew I need to eat with him first. One second, get behind me Satan. Next second, Peter, come here, let's, let's go for a walk on the seashore after we eat together. I just wanna know that you still love me. But the second thing he did was far worse than the first thing, but Peter's in a far worse place. And so he needs a friendship approach. That's what the world needs right now. And listen, just because you're here doesn't mean you don't need friendship in your life. And I'm, I'm now learning that for many people who enjoy being isolated, it's actually hard to say I need friends. It's not as easy as, like, I, my, I, I'm, I'm programmed that way, but I'm, I'm listening carefully and it's not easy. Some people have friendships, but they have them just distanced enough to not be inconvenient and feel like it's okay. We need friends that interrupt. We need friends that when you say, when they say, hey, are you okay? And you're like, yeah, I'm fine. They still bring you dinner because they know you're lying. Jacqueline and I are about to enter the fall where we have our church's 70th anniversary We have the Thanksgiving community events that we do where we hand out the bed. We have our first Christmas gala in 45 years coming back this December. We have all of these big events. We got a baby on the way. And they're cutting my foot off. I'm just kidding. Why are you clapping for that? I'm going to be on crutches when my wife has the baby. Please pray for Jacqueline right now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're going to need help. We're going to have big time events going on. I'm going to be hobbling around, and Jacqueline's going to be nine months pregnant and having a baby, and I'm not going to be able to walk. I'm going to be preaching in a seat down here. I told Ian to get me one that can spin all the way around, though. That'll help. I might need to spin myself when I make a really good point, and nobody says amen. We're going to need friends. But I know that it took surgery and a baby and a busy schedule for us to finally feel okay saying, you know what, you can help. Like I said to the deacons, be careful now asking us if we need help because we're going to say yes. (laughs) But it shouldn't take all that. We all need help. You need help. I need help and you need the person next to you to reach out your hand and their hand and stabilize your boat even if you you might have gotten so used to the fact that it's rocking that you think rocking isn't rocking anymore but it is. Let's stare to our feet this morning. Yes. Let's just close our eyes for a moment as the worship team comes up here. I just want this, this, this final song in the worship service is for digesting. It's for letting settle in what was just said before we come to the table. Paul says, before you come to the table, examine yourself. That's how we know that this bread and this cup is not just a memorial and it's not just a symbol because you don't need to examine yourself before you come to a memorial or a symbol. You need to examine yourself before you come to something that's real, that's alive and active. Paul doesn't tell them to examine themselves before they look at a piece of religious art. But when it comes to the bread and the cup, he says, before you go to that table, let the Holy Spirit talk to you. Prepare yourself to come because it's real what's happening in there. So I just want us to think for a moment, we're about to be invited to a table from the greatest friend we've ever had, a friend that sticks closer than a brother. So let's, as we prepare to come to the table... Let's ask ourselves, where does my grumpiness grind against my friendships? Where does my demanding nature grind against my friendships? And right now, let's just ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us where we're like that and to help those areas of stone in our life become bread that we can offer. So let the Holy Spirit speak to you for a moment.